Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. We're going to continue in our series today, Exploring the Kingdom. We've said it many times throughout the summer uh, and then into the fall. We want to be normal Christians, right? We don't want American Christianity. We don't want postmodern Christianity. We don't want a specific generation's form of Christianity. We want Jesus's form of Christianity. We want to walk and live how Jesus walked and how he equipped the early church to walk. So if we're going to do that, we need to live like Jesus, speak the same message as Jesus. And what we've learned over the past few weeks is Jesus's message has been about the kingdom of God and how you can be ripped out of the kingdom of darkness by receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior and put into the kingdom of light, which is the same thing as the kingdom of God. Now, if you're newer here today, we don't usually have thrones and knights and bridges and flags with lions on our, on our platform. It's because of the current series in exploring the kingdom. We gave a definition the first week about God's kingdom. It's just a working definition. It's not the fullness of it or the finality of it. It's just something we're working through during this series of messages, and it's this. God's kingdom is God's heart for his people expressed through the lives of his children through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So anytime we're talking about God's kingdom being established, God's kingdom being advanced, it's not that we're putting up fences around bigger areas of land, not at all. It's in our hearts. It's his heart for the people of this world. And he expresses that because by his choice, not because we said we were going to, by his choice, he expresses his heart through his people who know him as Lord and Savior. So we actually get to demonstrate God's love to people who don't yet know what his kingdom is all about. So the first week we talked about the priority of the kingdom. Adam just mentioned it in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It was Jesus's priority from the very first time he preached. He preached on the gospel of the kingdom. He told people to repent, turn from their sinful ways and turn toward God. The second week we talked about heaven's government, how uh, for, for generations and generations, man has tried to do it on their own by creating their own rules and by trying to rule over men and women. But if you look back at God's original plan, it was never for us to roll over each other. It was never for us to, to have dominion over people. It was over the land and the animals and then to destroy the works of the enemy once he was on the earth. So what happens is earthly government ends up using coercion and power to force decisions to be made because it's not based on God's love. And today we're going to go a little bit deeper. We're going to explore the meaning and the application of kings and lords. So if you were born in the United States, you do not have any personal working experience with a king or a lord. Is there anybody in this room at all that at one time lived in a kingdom? I mean, this isn't a trick question. I mean, like a real kingdom. Yes? Yeah. Okay. So we have three, three, four people here. I thought I saw one over here. So out of like several hundred people, there's three or four that actually have experience living under a kingship or a lordship. So I could say like 99.9% of us don't know what that means, don't know what it feels like, don't know how it's expressed. And I would probably, I don't know if I'm correct, but I'd probably say the ones that did raise their hands may not have been under a kingship that was operating out of biblical principles, where that king was operating from the heart of God to the people. So I think it's good for us to understand what the positive effects of a king and a Lord could be, and obviously look at that through the lenses of God and Jesus, our Savior. So God's original intent in Exodus chapter 19. Again, like last week, uh, my heart is, and I, I, my, what I like to do is preach from like one chunk of scripture and then pull principles out. In this series, what we're trying to prove is throughout scripture is sprinkled the notion that God was setting up his kingdom here on earth until we would go to be with him in the new, new heavens, the new earth, new Jerusalem. So I'm, I understand I'm taking one or two verses out of here, one or two verses. If you even write these down, you go, you read in context, you'll be able to understand even more fully what these verses mean. But God's original intention in these verses was that his people were going to be a royal nation and he was going to be king. This is even after the Garden of Eden. I want you to see this. Adam and Eve messed it up. 
They lose dominion over the earth, but God is still giving them a chance for intimacy and relationship that they would be holy priests in his nation. And it says here, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, obviously, we know that they didn't do that. They said, Moses, we don't want to meet face-to-face with God. We just want a bunch of rules, and we'll just follow those. Did that work out for them? Absolutely not. So because they chose that instead of relationship, then they weren't a kingdom of priests. They weren't a holy nation, though they were still his prized possession. He chose the people of Israel to be his people, though they, they, they did not respond in the way that he wanted So God's heart was still for them. And all the way till the coming of Jesus, his heart was still for them. And now Jesus comes, right? He preaches the kingdom, ministers the kingdom, lives the perfect life, dies the perfect death, comes back as the king of the world when he's resurrected. But right before his crucifixion, when he's on trial in John chapter 18, Jesus actually declares that he is a king. In verse 33, Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and says, are you the king of the Jews? See, if you don't know this, hopefully you will after this message. The people of that land, there was prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament about the king of the Jews. He's coming. He's the Messiah. What they missed, what the Jewish nation missed is that this king was not going to set up an earthly throne. See, they thought he was going to set up his earthly throne, his earthly kingdom. He has his crown, and he was going to roll from that and bring Israel, bring Jerusalem and Israel out of the rulership of the Roman government. So this is what their belief was. They're saying he's not acting like a king. He's not dressing like a king. They didn't understand he fulfilled the prophecy. So they're saying he didn't come from the lineage of a king because they didn't see. they They weren't seeing who Jesus truly was. So in verse 34, he says, is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? So Jesus begins to answer his first question. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answers, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, now listen to this. In fact, for this reason, I was born. Now look at this. It's the very first message he says is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And now right before crucifixion, he's saying, listen, this is the reason why I've come. To be not the king of this earthly society, not to be a king over a certain land, but to be the king of the world, to be the king of people's hearts, of anyone who would be willing to repent, to turn, to turn from sin and to turn from God, to change the way they think and make Jesus the king of their life. That's why he was born. It says, and for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side, on the side of truth, listens to me. And even that word means hears me, understands me when they understand the truth that he brought. So just look at a few things that he's talking about here. Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world. It's from another place, right? So this is a spiritual kingdom. He's not talking about the church who can have the most acreage in ownership, right? He's not talking about expanding land, though buildings are necessary to meet, to train, to equip, and then to send out but it's a spiritual kingdom. Even though this kingdom is spiritual, it can be seen though. How many of you know that? There's evidence that there's a spiritual kingdom working on the inside of you. If somebody gets healed, saved, delivered, touched by God, a marriage gets restored, you actually see that in their lives. So you can't just say, well, it's a spiritual kingdom. We're not really sure where it's at, where it's at work. Absolutely not. Anytime God moves and the kingdom of darkness is dispelled, the kingdom of God has come upon that situation. And then, of course, he makes the declaration once and for all, he is the king. So I'm going to answer two questions for you briefly. Why did God choose a kingdom and not a democracy, like we talked about last week? And why is Jesus a king and not a president? A few weeks ago, we learned about the word kingdom, not God's kingdom, just kingdom. It's the governing influence of a king within that territory, okay? 
So it's how this influence impacts the people of that territory. It's his will, it's his purpose, and it's his intent. And what happens is there's a culture that's formed of how they live and how they celebrate. That's a kingdom. So very clearly, who is in charge in a kingdom? Everybody say it. It's a king. So who do the citizens eventually become like and live like? The king. Pretty simple for a kingdom. Let's look at a democracy. A democracy is the role of the people, by the people, and for the people. This is all established by a majority vote. And sometimes a majority vote can be swayed by a small group of people who happen to have the hands of the major news networks on their side and then make the most noise. So let me ask this question. Who's in charge in a democracy? Yeah, say it. The people are. So who do the citizens eventually become like and live like? The people. Or the perceived values of the people who make the most noise. Do you see the problem? What happens in a democracy is it actually allows humanism to become the moral compass for society. So Jesus never intended to be a president. God never intended it for be, to be a democracy. He's king. He's in charge. It's the absolute and the only way God could properly govern his people so that his blessing, his love, his will, his intent, his purposes could flow into our lives and that we could actually come back into the image of Christ. So what I want to do is I actually want to look at characteristics of a natural king and how that's associated with King Jesus himself. Firstly, a king is a king by birthright. This is a natural king. A king is never voted into power. Kings are, not, kings are actually born into royalty. They are a king because of their lineage. You guys follow me? It's because it's in their family. It's in their blood already. Nothing they do or don't do can stop them from being born a king. Now look at this. Jesus didn't get voted on right? We're not standing here. We're not having a family meeting at the end of service to vote on whether Jesus is king or not. He's king. He was born as a king. There's nothing that we could do or not do to stop him from being the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Isaiah prophesied it this way. We think these are Christmas verses. This is a kingdom verse. For unto us a child is born. I mean, you feel all warm just by hearing that. Christmas time. It's Christmas. This is a prophecy about a king showing up to reestablish a kingdom that was lost in the garden. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Who carries the government on their shoulders? The king. The king. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Listen to that promise here. Not only is the government, right, the rolling faculty of all that happens on this earth sitting on the shoulders of Jesus, it's saying that to the increase of this government and to the increase of his peace, there will be no end. So I understand portions of the Bible that talk about how bad things are going to happen at the end of time. But I'm not looking for the bad things. I'm looking for the increase of his government and the increase of his peace. There will be no end until we see him face to face for all of eternity. So yes, bad things are happening, but that's not going to discourage us. It's not going to deter us. We're not going to dig a hole and hide in the hole. We're going to say, no, the child was born. He is wonderful. He is mighty. He is everlasting. And he is the prince of peace. So not only is he the king, but he's also the prince. Secondly, a king cannot be voted out of power. You can do all you want to overthrow a king. But really, the only choice you have in a kingdom is to become like the king or to rebel against the king. So think, just think through that for just a moment. I'm talking even in the natural kingdom. You don't like, just like ride the fence. Because the king's will, intent, and purpose in a natural kingdom is being delivered to the people. And if he's a good king, it's for the person, it's the good pleasure of the king to have his people prosper, safe, blessed, provided for, right? So for that, you're either becoming like the king or you're rebelling against the king's ways. The same is true with the kingdom of God. There's not 
There, there's not the riding of the fence. There's a, a complete submission and surrender to him as king or you're rebelling against his ways. In Revelation eleven fifteen, at the end of time, it says the kingdom of the world <clears throat> has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. <clears throat> Atheists, Cult, people that are in cults, people that are in false religions, they can try to vote him out all they want. But the promise stands true. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Third, a king's authority is absolute. His authority is absolute. In fact, the reality is this. Only one person can sit on this throne. In fact, JR, I'll use you for an example because you're sitting close. <laughs> You can come on up. So if I was the king of a natural kingdom and JR wanted to become the king, what would he have to do? He would have to try to overthrow me. Even if it was in his lineage, there would have to be a passing off of this, okay? Now, in, in the spiritual kingdom, if I said, okay, God, I've realized that I'm sitting on the throne of my heart. I've been in charge of my life, all my life, but I want to give you absolute authority, so come on, and I want to welcome you into my life, so come on, okay, and then I'll, I'll ask Jesus to come and sit on my lap. It's okay. We're friends. We're good. All right. All right. <laughs> Is Jesus the king of my heart yet? Absolutely not. Whose rear end is still on the throne? Okay, so I want to move over a little bit more. Okay, Jesus, just try to sit. Just try to fit right here. Right. Sorry, that's painful, I know. Is Jesus the king of my heart yet? Absolutely not. So finally, if I say, I'm sick of this, I can't live like this anymore, Jesus, please take your rightful place as the king of my heart. Now, my only response, once I'm no longer the king of my own life, and I realize who the king is. My only response possible is to worship the king. And now we're postured in the proper way. Not I have dominion over this or that. But I've realized and recognized that there's a new king in charge of my heart. And the only place I have is to go lower and lower in worship of the king. Thank you, king. All right. Thanks, Tim. All right, the fourth point I want to make is a king chooses who will be a citizen. I didn't know this until I was studying it. Kings actually have authority to choose who's a citizen, which means he determines the standard of citizenship. He determines who's going to belong. There's no immigration policy. There's no passport. There's no, the, the king simply chooses who's allowed and who must go. Full authority to choose this. So in God's kingdom, God picks the standard. We're all welcome into his kingdom, but he picks the standard. The standard is the blood of Jesus. The standard is dying to our old nature so we could be alive in a new nature. The standard is giving up everything that we've ever had so we could have the best life we could ever want here and into eternity. Does that make sense? He chooses. It's like he goes before us and he knows who's going to choose him. And he says, I choose you first. It's not predestination. It's not, it's not, I just picked these few and just this section, all y'all are out. He's saying, you're all welcome, but this is the standard. Just die to yourself. Come under the blood of Jesus and you're in. In John 15, 16, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The only fruit that will last is fruit that comes from instruction of the king right? We can't bear fruit that lasts without help, without instruction, without counsel, without empowerment from the king. So he becomes king of our heart. We come into citizenship. We're now a part of the royal family of God, and we're now enabled and empowered to bear fruit. The last part I want to talk about for a king is a king's status is measured by the status of his citizens. Now, that doesn't mean he reduces or increases. I'm saying his status, the way that people look at him from other kingdoms. So if the citizens of the kingdom are poor, then the other kingdoms look at the king as being poor or at least oppressive. However, if the citizens prosper, so does the image of that king from other people. So in the earthly kingdom, it's all about earthly wealth, right? We know this. It's about possessions. It's why the king desires for a larger kingdom. 
It's why a good king would be benevolent and generous with his citizens so the more people want to be part of the kingdom, so his kingdom expands, so people see and they say that king has a high status across this world. Now, in God's kingdom, prosperity is not limited to finances. How many of you know that? You can be prosperous in your soul, in your mind, in your spirit. You can be healthy as you're walking with God. It can include finances, but that's such a small part of it. That's why our king is loving and benevolent and generous. He wants to expand his kingdom so that other people would see the favor and the blessing upon your life and want in. They would say, something's different. I want what you have. And it's not a greediness. It's just saying there's a fulfillment there. There's a fruitfulness there that I don't have. I'm lost. I have this gap in my life. I have this hole in my soul and you don't. What is different? Let me introduce you to my king. So the Lord asked me this question. I'm just going to ask you. I'll state it to me because he asked me first. If I was the only measuring rod people had for how good and benevolent and loving and powerful my king was, what would their impression of Jesus be? So because he asked me first, I feel like I can ask you now and not feel like I'm beating you up because I had to wrestle with this. If you were the only measuring rod that people had for how good and benevolent and loving and powerful our king is, what would their impression be? That's not to make you feel bad, right? It's just to send us right back to the throne, right back to an attitude of worship to become more like the king. Let's take a few minutes to talk about Lord. Just as a king does not exist in our democracy, neither does a Lord, right? I think the, the best um, example that we have of that is a landlord, right? It's really the only common word that's used in our society that deals with that. So it would be recognized as this, a landlord owns property, Okay, so the way that we would understand is you pay a landlord money or rent. He allows you to live in his property. Though he owns the property, he lets you steward that property, right? So if you're, let's just say you're renting uh, an apartment. The landlord's not gonna bust through your door and say, I want you to change the color of your couch. I want you to get new end tables. The bed, it has to go. You gotta get a bunk bed. The landlord's not gonna do that. He has, he owns the property, has full authority over the property. But as long as you are in good relationship with him, You're given that area to steward. So it's very similar to what a Lord is, even though we have a very limited look at this. So in a natural kingdom, the king is automatically also a Lord. Yeah, I didn't know this until looking into it. The difference between a king and a Lord is that lordship is only one aspect of the full status of a king, but the king is also a Lord. So if the king's Lord, if It is the king's lordship that makes his leadership unique versus any other government. So let's take a look real quick at the two words here. The word king deals with the person's authority and power. The word lord deals with the territory in which he has authority and power. Remember last week we learned about feudalism, how they were called lords. They owned all of that land. So a king actually needs territory to rule over or they're not a king. Does that make sense? The king has authority, but he needs land and people to rule over. So with that, if a king was a king of a one square mile area, he would have a status of a very weak king. There's not too many people. However, if a king was also lord over hundreds of thousands of acres, there's gonna be many, many more people that he would have the ability to influence and roll over. And when I say roll over, again, put it in the, in the, in the lenses of God, who's a good and benevolent and uh, blessed, filled king. Now, it says here in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's, I've read this several times already, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So not only when we talk about the word God and Jesus being king and Lord, they're interchangeable. They're not in competition with each other. How many of you know that? It's like, well, wait a minute. The Old Testament says God's king and it says God's Lord. Now the New Testament says Jesus. You can see God is the king over all the world. And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. They're in partnership. God has given his, the kingship and the rulership to Jesus over his kingdom. But God owns it all. Jesus owns it all, which automatically makes our God Lord. If you think about a king owning everything in his domain, 
then the citizens are not owners, they're only stewards. Now think about this. This might sound greedy and mean when you're not dealing with a righteous king, but when you're dealing with a righteous king, the prosperity and the blessing of the people, not just financially, listen, everything, wholeness, is a priority of the king. So what a benevolent king does is he gives us more area, more territory to steward. And now we're not talking about land. We're talking about our influence in other people's lives, right? Where we don't come in and we're not coercive. We're not controlling, none of that. We come in as servants, as Jesus, the king did, and we wash feet. And through our ability to steward well what, he've been, what we've been given, we're given more and more to steward. So throughout the, Old, throughout the Old Testament, God is considered Lord. I'm just going to run through a few verses here. In Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Israel, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your strength. This shows one God, three persons united, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Psalm 23, right? You've heard this at funerals. You probably have memorized it before. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus wasn't here yet. We're talking about the Father being the Lord. He owns it all. In Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And in Psalm 115, the highest heavens belong to the Lord. We've talked about this before, the earth he has given to man. Shift over to the New Testament. Jesus is also Lord. Okay, we don't make him Lord. I made him Lord of my life. No, no, no you didn't. He's Lord. You just allow, you've allowed him to break through the hardness of your heart to truly become the Lord in your personal life. But you did not make him Lord, right? You've received him as Lord, but he's already Lord. So when I think about this, what makes Jesus Lord? Because lordship means ownership. Beginning of time, what does it say? God, God, the Father created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let there be light. Last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit was hovering over the darkness, hovering over the chaos, and how the breath of God and spirit of God are the same words, okay? So God's speaking as he's creating. If he's the one that created it, he owns it. The Holy Spirit is active at doing it. But in John chapter one, we bring Jesus into creation. And it says, in the beginning was the word. We already know this is a prophecy about Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus, son, father, Holy Spirit, one God. He was with God in the beginning. And in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus was fully active at creation which means he has every right to be Lord overall. So let's take a look at life under lordship, and then we're going to go into a time of worship. Number one, a Lord protects his citizens from competing for resources. Think about this. He owns it all. This eliminates jealousy, fear, deceit. It eliminates hoarding. Jealousy in God's kingdom is one of the most divisive things. And he's saying, listen, I own it all. Just receive what I have to give you. Be thankful for what I give you. Secondly, a Lord gives property for stewardship at his own will. So think about this. Every citizen in a kingdom can be comfortable in their own identity, knowing that the king will give them, what, or the Lord will give them whatever it is in his will to give them. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 28. He says, again, talking about God's kingdom, if you look back again at this verse in, in this chapter, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Talking about the father trusting his own property. It says, to one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his own ability. We need to stop looking around to see if the other Christian next to us has more talents than us. God knows you. He's not saying you're less of a Christian if you get one. He's saying you were uniquely wired to steward this one. Now do well with it. And we know that there will be a greater opportunity to steward more. Not because you're performing for him. You're just showing the king of all kings. I'm thankful for it. I receive what you've given me. And now I'm being faithful for with what I have been given. Does this make sense to you guys? It's not our choice if we get one, two, three, four, or five, 10, 15. We just receive from our Lord and we're faithful with it. The third thing I want to share is that a Lord has all the rights 
to his territory. This might not seem beneficial for you until you realize when you have rights, you also have all of the responsibility that goes along with those rights, which means you face the consequences of what you do with those rights. When you're under a Lord, you're giving up your rights and you're saying, I'm now living under your blessing. I'm living under your favor. I'm living under your responsibility. Sounds a whole lot like what Jesus did for us on the cross, doesn't it? Where now what we do and what we don't do doesn't get us in or out. It's what we believe in. And when we receive him as Lord, we are now under his rights. Now in American culture, that doesn't sound great, right? I'm giving up all of my rights. No, there's protests and lawsuit after lawsuit about, I want my rights. I want more rights. And Jesus is saying, give them all up. Completely countercultural. Give them all up that I would become, that Jesus would become Lord. There's one verse I want to share. In Romans 10, verse 9, it actually talks about receiving him, confessing him as your Lord. I learned something this week that I think is very unique. I'm going to share just in a few minutes here. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, there's a confession, but there's a belief. There's a confession, and then there's also a belief. That word saved here means it's sozo. It's the full package. It means to save, to rescue from danger or destruction, and also being redeemed or brought back. So what are you saved from? Think about this. You're not just being saved from hell. You're not just being saved from the lake of fire. You're being saved from your own rebellion. The lake of fire is the destination if you choose to rebel, but you've never been in the lake of fire to be brought back out of it. Does that make sense? What you're doing is you're walking and you choose to rebel against the Lord at some point in your life and you choose to walk in sin instead of in righteousness. So when you're saved, when you're saying you're my Lord, you're saying, I'm surrendering all of my rights. I believe that God brought Jesus back to life. What does that mean? He now has kingship. He has authority over death and the devil, which means he has officially reestablished the kingdom of God. That's what's happening here. We're confessing Jesus as our Lord. We're being saved from our own rebellion, which now we have eternity in sight with Jesus. So if we're gonna say Jesus is Lord, again, we can't try to sneak back on here, right? We can't like wake up one morning and be like, um, I got this today. Once we put, once we allow him to come onto the throne of our heart, he must be our priority. He has to be our priority. Or now we just seek first the kingdom of God. All the way back in Exodus at the beginning of the sermon, I talked about how God wanted his people to be a royal nation, a kingdom of priests that didn't stop. His desire didn't stop. Because all the way in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 2, uh, starting at verse 9, uh, worship team, you guys can come up. Starting at verse nine, it says, this is after Jesus has ascended. I mean, he's done everything he's gonna do to reestablish his kingdom. And in first Peter, it says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. One thing that I learned this week in studying this verse is that word people most literally means race. So we are his chosen people. We are his chosen race. Now, if you take that word race and look what it means in the biblical sense, it means people coming from the same genetic line because of a blood relationship. I want to like go crazy right now. I just want that to sink in. I had an option to be like, yes, I love this. I want that to sink in. You are a chosen people. You are a chosen race, which means you are now in the genetic line of Jesus because of a blood relationship. So what's what happened? You've been ripped out of your earthly lineage. Your mom and dad won't be upset with you. You can still be here. But you've been ripped out of your earthly lineage and you've been grafted into the lineage of God. 
which means you are a part of the royal family. Which means if we attach our faith to the reality of the freedom that is available in the castle of the king, we would no longer make excuses that my daddy didn't say he loved me or that my mom left when I was five or that my brother abused me or that my cousin wasn't nice to me. We would say, he's my dad. He's my king. This is the lineage that I'm in. I, and I know, I know past has hurt. I understand that. I see generations of alcoholism or generations of addiction. And I actually believe that our faith and understanding, we have been grafted in to the blood relationship. Come on, the lineage of God. To me, to me, that's a game changer. It's a game changer to know I'm not some stranger coming and bowing at the feet of a king. But you live in the castle. We've been welcomed into the castle. It's a game changer. I'd like us, actually, you won't stand right now. I want you to make this declaration with me. You can read ahead. I don't want you to say anything that you're not prepared to say. You can stand. That's fine. Let's stand. We're going to watch a video right after this, and then we're going to go into worship. As soon as worship starts, you're more than welcome to come down. We just want to worship together. Yeah, all right. You can repeat after me. Today I declare that I am a child of God, that I have been adopted into the royal family of God, into his eternal kingdom. Jesus is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my King. My lineage is now through Jesus which is a spiritual lineage, no longer of the flesh. I receive all of the blessings that come from the lineage of Christ, which connects me to the Father. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is my King. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to enjoy this video. It's an older video. Maybe you've seen it before. And then we're going to go right into a time of worship. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life 
Let's come forward and just worship today. We'll spend the rest of our time in worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you, Father. We praise you. Oh, we praise you, Lord. Oh, we praise you.
was borrowed for three days. His body
There's an older chorus that God told me to have prepared for today. It's a simple one, but it says, In the presence of Jehovah, Oh God Almighty, Just lift up some adoration to him right now.
trust you, Lord, you are. I put my trust in you, Lord. Father, today we do declare you are king. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, that we can come into your presence at any time and simply bow before you and declare once again you are on the throne of our heart. Father, we thank you for being with us today. We thank you, Father, your Holy Spirit lives within us. He's going with us as we leave here today. Father, as we love and as we show compassion, and as we pray and as we minister to other people, I pray that they would not see us. They would see that there is a status of a king living through us that is worthy to follow. Father, we entrust the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Pray for your blessing to be upon us now. In your mighty name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.